This is the Plant Fueled Podcast. My name is Cass Warbeck. I'm a medical student, plant-based athlete, and vegan lifestyle advocate. This podcast is all about bringing you conversations to optimize your health and elevate your performance. Welcome back. Joining me today is Dr. Colin Zhu, also known as the Chef Doc. He's an osteopathic doctor who is double board certified in family medicine and lifestyle medicine. Following completion of his medical degree, Dr. Zhu trained as a chef and a health coach and is very passionate about the intersection of medicine, food, and nutrition. Among his many accomplishments, Dr. Zhu is founder of the Chef Doc website, author of the book Thrive Medicine, How to Cultivate Your Desires and Elevate Your Life, and the host of the popular Thrive Bites podcast. In today's conversation, we discuss why he decided to go to culinary school, his experience running marathons and triathlons, practical tips for cooking healthy but also delicious meals, and what it means to live authentically and truly thrive. Dr. Zhu's purpose is to infuse more wellness, happiness, and inspiration into the lives of those around him through teaching, education, and empowerment. Hopefully, you feel this vibe after listening to our conversation. Please enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Zhu. It's really great to have you here. I know we were trying to make this work for a little while, so I'm really glad we made this happen. Yeah, yeah. I'm super, super stoked to be here with you. So thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, of course. So before we dive into everything culinary medicine, Thrive Medicine, I'd love to start off first by asking a little bit about your medical background. Um, So I understand that you're a doctor of osteopathic medicine. And could you maybe explain just the difference quickly between this designation versus a traditional medical doctor? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so doctor of osteopathy or doctor of osteopathic medicine, um, you know, there's two different designations, um, basically with a DO, um, in the United States, um, is basically the same as an MD medical doctor. Um, we're able to practice, um, medicine and do surgery in all 50 States. Um, and essentially it's the same exact thing. Um, in fact, the training and the, and the pathway to, you know, get into training has, you know, merged over the years and evolved. So um, it's nice to have that cohesiveness. Um, but um, I would say that one of the biggest differences and nuances is the fact that we have 300 hours um, extra um, of doing manual manipulation. And um, if you've never been to an osteopathic doctor before who does um, OMM or OMT for osteopathic manipulative treatment or medicine, um, it's basically using your hands to diagnose and uh, treat um, you know, uh, basic, basically, you know, bodily dysfunctions, right? So anything from the top layer all the way down to organ layer. And it's kind of like, if you can, you know, think about like massage and chiropractic, but able to go even deeper than that, um, you know, using just your hands and we can bill for it. Uh, what's really cool is that you can bill for it. Um, and, uh, we took 300 extra hours to learn on top of everything else, um, uh, which, you know, Cassie, I'm sure you, you know, know full well, and, uh, it's a lot of fun, but yes, uh, exact same thing in the United States, um, everywhere else. Um, I think we're seen as basically, uh, similar to, um, chiropractic care because our lineage lineage is uh, very similar or origins. That's very cool. Thank you for, I've never heard it explained so well, to be honest. I've always wondered about the difference in Canada. It's not quite um, the same, I believe. So very Mm -hmm. interesting. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about like your current medical medical practice, but I think we need to set the stage a little bit more um, because you're known as the chef doc. And that obviously means you went to culinary school. So my understanding is that you finished your um, DO degree and then you went to culinary school. Is that right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. And I went to culinary school in between medical uh, school and training. 
Okay. And why did you decide to do that? Like, that's definitely not the traditional route most uh, medical residents take. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, It wasn't something that I foresaw as well. Um, But basically, just to kind of go a step back, um, how I came into medicine um, definitely was heavily influenced by my mother. Um, She is a Chinese medical doctor, um, traditional Chinese medicine or TCM. And um, it was my first introduction, you know, growing up um, into health preventative care, wellness, um, and uh, just really looking at the patient or person in a very holistic approach. And so I went into school thinking I was going to marry Eastern and Western philosophies, right? And then I went into school um, and uh, most of my training was heavily, um, you know, at the time, uh, less so now, it has been really into pathophysiology and pharmacology, which, um, you know, I don't know if your audience knows is you know, how drugs work and how disease manifests and less on, you know, how we optimize wellness, preventative care, nutrition, lifestyle, diet, all that, all that jazz. In fact, it was, I only received like around 10 credit hours of uh, nutrition. It was only in the form of biochemistry. So when I follow a lot of my predecessors and mentors, um, I realized that no matter you know, what walk through our door, whether it's a cough um, or low back pain, there was always some sort of lifestyle related component or risk factor attached to every, you know, patient. And so I just felt very ill equipped and I made a lot of detours, uh, went to culinary school afterwards and uh, yeah, just basically never looked back and used that education to teach and educate. Okay. That's, there's so many different elements to, I think your current practice. And I think that's very, personally, as a medical student right now, navigating the system and trying to figure out like what ultimately I want my career to look like. I love hearing from physicians like yourself, who've kind of found these alternative paths to create the practice that you feel, I guess, most drawn to. Um, Can you maybe expand on some of the elements, I guess, of traditional Chinese medicine that like, do you try and incorporate any of these philosophies into your practice? Like, are there any examples that you can share? Um, well, so I'm not uh, fully schooled and licensed um, in acupuncture or TCM. Um, most of what I know is in, you know, um, you know, directly informally taught by my mother. Okay. Um, so, you know, Chinese medicine in a nutshell is basically you know, looking uh, at the body of imbalances. So pretty much how we, how Chinese uh, medical practitioners look at, you know, the disease state is really about how the organ systems, how your chi flow, um, you know, is in balance or out of balance, right? So um, to kind of make it simpler, if you ever heard of chi or in Mm -hmm. Chinese, we call it hei, um, you know, it's basically energy, right? Um, This could be represented by blood. Um, And it's basically, you know, nature's life force that, you know, courses through pretty much all living, you know, sentient, you know, um, beings. And so, you know, we use that theory in addition to meridians, which are basically energy highways um, throughout the body, which is separate than your vascular system, which is separate than your lymphatic system, right? Um, You can't really see it, Um, So it's not something that's tangible. Um, It's based off of, you know, just the practice and, you know, Chinese medicine is like, uh, man, probably, you know, upwards of like 4,000 years old. Um, And uh, it's been passed on and taught, you know, throughout the generations. 
And, um, you know, so it's basically, you know, you have energy highways coursing through your body. If there, if you think of it as akin to a major highway or freeway, um, and if you have gridlock traffic, then basically there's a disruption, right? And if there's a disruption, then it causes an imbalance um, to a certain uh, organ system or multiple organ systems, because everything that, you know, we believe is connected and intertwined with one another. So, you know, we don't really just think of the liver as uh, an isolated silo or the kidneys are all connected to each other very, very um, intimately. Um, So basically when there's an imbalance, um, that's how we approach it. So we don't really, um, I guess, label things in terms of like diagnosis. It's really about, okay, the body's in this state. Um, And so we have to kind of, you know, uh, do certain things to it, um, you know, to kind of get it uh, to rebalance. Okay. That makes sense actually. And I can see like from a broad point of view, how that does overlap with a lot of the, I guess, the values and the theories behind like lifestyle medicine, looking at all these different factors and um, the underlying cause of the disease and looking at the body from a holistic point of view. Um, Maybe just (laughs) taking a step back, sorry, I'm bouncing all over, but I'd love to hear just a little bit more about culinary school um, because I'm still amazed that you decided to kind of take a detour from the medical route to take one or two years, I'm not sure how many, to like learn the art of culinary medicine. So were you always fascinated about food and cooking? And is that why you decided to pursue that? Or was it more a desire that you felt you needed to improve in that area? Like what was the underlying drive? Um, I think it's a little bit of all of that. Um, so growing up in a you know Chinese household, um, so I'm a first generation immigrant child of uh, Chinese parents. My dad's from Southern China. My mom's from Hong Kong. And I was very blessed that, you know, both of them uh, cooked, you know, in the kitchen. So, you know, we were no strangers, uh, me and my sister, um, no strangers to the kitchen. And, um, you know, having that familiarity and understanding, you know, like what real food tastes like, right? And in Chinese cuisines, um, you know, Chinese uh, philosophies are always about harmony, uh, peace and, you know, just balance, you know what I'm saying? So um, it's applied to food as well. So you would have equal parts of like, you know, plants and, you know, grains and meat and seafood and, you know, all this stuff, right? We're not talking plant-based right now, but, you know, it's just equal, equal groups of everything. And so, um, you know, when I went into school, I didn't think that I was going to go into culinary school. It was really about the origin of my pain points of being ill-prepared, like I said, and then deciding that, okay, you know, I don't want to just learn about nutrition. I really want to understand where food comes from, right? And, you know, how it's sourced, where it's made, how, you know, how we process things, how we farm, what is agriculture like, and ultimately, you know, how is it, you know, gone through the food industry? How does it go, go through the restaurants and kitchens and the homes and things like that? And so just to kind of understand, because, you know, how things arrive to your plate, you know, there's so many steps, you know, from where it originally came from, whether it's out of the water, out of the, you know, ground, the tree, the vine, you know, um, or it could be out of a factory, you know what I'm saying? So it's very important to kind of at least have an idea. Um, You know, so for me, when I went into school, it was very, um, I was very uh, pointed. I was very strategic in terms of what I chose. I didn't go to Le Cordon Bleu. I went to um, a, a school called the Natural Gourmet Institute, um, and it was ba- it's based it was based out of Manhattan, New York, uh, New York City. And uh, you know, I spent full time there training. Uh, the program was 
uh, six months, seven months with an internship um, full time. And um, I was able to do that because I was able to graduate off cycle a little bit. So I have a few months to play before, you know, I matriculated into my family practice residency. And that particular school, the reason why it was special and unique is because it was very, very, very plant forward and it was health supportive. So it wasn't, you know, as grounded as, you know, other schools in a French technique. It was more grounded in Asian traditions and Asian, you know, uh, uh, techniques and stuff like that. And the founder was a, you know, she had a PhD. And so she knew what she was talking about, you know, and she really had an intimate relationship with food. So that's why I chose that school. Um, and then ultimately I used that education to teach. Yeah, that's that's so great. And I think you raise a really important point here about there's a difference between nutrition and food. And like we can preach macronutrients and calories and vitamins and minerals all we want, but really it's like patients and people think about this in terms of like food, the meals that like we order in restaurants and the meals we cook with our family. So I think it's, it's very important to be talking about this side of it as well. Um, you mentioned plant-based. So I think this is a perfect place to ask. Um, you're plant-based yourself. And mm -hmm. when did this happen? When did you become plant-based? Was this before, um, after culinary school? Like how did that work? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, growing up in a Chinese household, um, you know, uh, we love plants. We love veggies. You know, the Chinese are very masterful. Um, I believe a lot of Asian, you know, cuisines are, I think, you know, just as masterful. Um, so very lucky in that regard. So I didn't grow up on like, you know, the standard American diet, even though we indulged, you know, a lot in fast food growing up. Um, I wasn't as healthy, you know, I indulged just like, you know, any other, you know, American, um, you know, with all that. And, um, yeah, so it's, um, the cooking, the cooking was, uh, was great. It was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, I took a plant-based, I made it a point to, um, you know, really go full deep in whole food plant-based approach, um, after my first marathon in 2014. So we're going on like uh, eight years now. And, um, the reason why it was for me, because I was training for the first marathon, um, also ironically in New York city. And, um, you know, my training, um, was kind of brutal. If you've never trained for a, a marathon, uh, let alone just do the race, um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's brutal, you know, um, uh, but it's a lot of fun. You learn a lot of lessons. And, um, you know, so I had a lot of joint pain at the time I had, you know, uh, a lot of knee pain, back pain, hip pain. And then, um, I also noticed that I had a lot of bloating, a lot of GI distress, a lot of upset. And so I had heard about whole food plant-based, the research associated with it, you know, took a deep dive and decided that after my training, I was going to switch. And what I noticed was that, you know, my, it was very subtle, not as obvious as like losing a you know, bunch of weight. I'm, you know, thankfully um, mostly healthy. And uh, for me, it was more that, you know, my recovery was better. You know, I was able to recover better. My performance was better. I was less tired, less zapped of energy and, you know, sore the next day. Uh, and the bloating went away. So it was, um, it was really good in that aspect. Other people have different, uh, you know, results, but that was mine. So ever since, um, you know, I just went on it and, you know, never looked back. And um, I like it because in addition to my specialty of lifestyle medicine, you know, I, I'm a firm, firm, firm believer and advocate of preaching what you pre uh, practicing what you preach and walking your talk. Um, I think it teaches both me 
um, and my patient's accountability, you know? So that's why I enjoy uh, what I enjoy about it. That's amazing. So 2014, you said that you transitioned? Okay. And sorry, uh, you said it was during your training or after, like, I did it afterwards, actually. Afterwards. So you had already ran the marathon and then you switched? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. great. And then have you ran marathons? Like, how did that marathon go versus maybe subsequent marathons? So, okay, if we're talking about uh, uh, races now, um, because I know you want to ask this, um, I, I've been uh, athletic most of my life. Yeah. Um, you know, I did, uh, you know, not, not as, not as well versus you, but, you know, I, I, I participated in a lot of martial arts growing up, um, you know, loved them. And I did a little bit of track and fields, a uh, little bit of, you know, basketball. And um, I started doing triathlons um, in 2006, my last year of college. And um, ever since I got hooked, I loved it because it was combining so many different sports into one. And it's like one of those few sports where you have um, uh, a 15-year-old and a 75-year-old participate in the same sport or race, and they can both beat you at the same time. So <laughs> I don't know what is more motivating than that. Um, you know, it's uh, it's really fun. And so from there, I just participate in a lot of other stuff um, because it was just fun. I'm motivated by having a good time and, um, you know, people coming together for a common goal. So that's my motivation. I didn't really, I'm not that, com- I'm not competitive. I don't care about PR. Like, you know, for me, it was about the fun experience. So I did triathlons. I did, you know, from 5Ks to, you know, marathons. I mostly do half marathons now um, and uh, tries, um, obstacle races, you know, mud races, you know, you name it, I've probably done it. So <laughs> That's amazing. Yes, I did want to ask about it. I love hearing about everyone's like athletic endeavors, like beyond like what you're doing in your career is incredible. And then you have this whole other like athletic experience. Definitely an endurance athlete. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I have to ask, do you have a favorite post-workout meal or like a go-to fuel source? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, hmm. I would probably say, I would probably say either Thai food or Indian food. Um, you know, it's just, uh, I I'm, I'm attracted to flavors, you know? Uh, and so like, you know, I, for me, I feel like, Ooh, I need to stock up. Um, you know, when I think of fuel source, I think of, you know, Thai food and Indian food. So, or I would just make a smoothie for myself, but whenever I'm traveling, um, you know, especially after a race, I can't get to something real quick. So I either have to make it myself or I have to go to, you know, um, a good chain that I like, you know, to provide that, but, uh, honestly a good smoothie probably. Yeah. And do you meticulously count calories or like grams of carbohydrates or protein or anything like that? Or is it more intuitive? No, 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 no. I mean, I know I'm Asian, but I'm not that good at math, so I don't really (laughs) count anything. Um, so, uh, you know, so that that's kind of one of the misconceptions of whole food plant-based is the fact that, you know, weight loss is actually a positive side effect of living the lifestyle. You know, you don't have to count calories. You don't have to count carbs. The reason why is because, you know, when you're eating a, a, a plant full, you know, a lifestyle, um, you know, you're eating more nutrient dense foods versus calorie dense foods. And that's what most standard American diet is. Um, you know, I don't know about Canadian, uh, diets, but you know, I, you know, it's, you know, just the stocking up on animal-based foods, processed foods, anything in a package, um, you know, anything that is manipulated by man 
uh, in my opinion, um, is, you know, not that great when you eat it chronically and over long term. So, um, but yeah, so it's, you know, we're just consuming way more calories than we, when we actually need um, versus the lack of nutrition and fiber um, that we really, really need um, to be able to like, you know, survive and thrive at the end of the day. Yeah, no, well said. Um, just before we leave like the, the marathon triathlon point here, um, can you share maybe like one general lesson or something that you've learned while training for all these races that you could share for some share with someone that maybe is thinking about signing up for something or is kind of like on the fence? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, for, for me, running is my happy place. Um, you know, running allows me to get out of my head. Um, you know, sometimes we can, uh, you know, be in that mental hamster wheel. Right. And I've, uh, you know, learned this and, you know, ta- was taught this, that, you know, if you can get yourself out of that moment where you're just stuck, then changing your, you know, uh, um, physiology is very, very key. So for me, it's always about being out in nature, going for a run, getting some sunlight, you know, um, you know, would really help me get out of like a low point or, you know, some sort of like, you know, down emotional state. And so, um, you know, in terms of racing, um, I would say for people who've never signed up for a race, it's always nice to, um, hear about someone that is on the fence. And then if I have an opportunity to step in and, you know, kind of convince them, otherwise it's great. Like I'm about to, um, you know, do a first 5k for someone, right. Um, that's not as physically, you know, active, um, or, uh, have an affinity uh, towards, but, you know, for them, a 5k is something that's achievable. Right. And, how I teach my patients is literally baby steps. You know, I tell my patients all the time, I want you to achieve 1% better than yesterday. That's it. You know, it's not Mount Everest. You know, I just want you to get over this tiny little anthill first, you know, don't step on the ants, but just like (laughs) metaphorically this anthill, right. Um, You know, just do that. And, you know, when you do that, you know, um, over and over again, you know, all those small consistent uh, steps, will make a difference, right? And it's about consistency and it's about taking the first step physically, literally and metaphorically. Um, so it's just start somewhere. But yeah, I think signing up for something will hold you accountable and it will have a deadline. So, you know, if you're good with, you know, deadlines, I definitely, uh, definitely, uh, you know, would advocate that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think sometimes having that circled date on the calendar is just something to like look forward to and having, having a goal really helps with the motivation some days. So, okay. So I could ask a lot more on that, but I'm really, I wanted to get you here and just dive into some of the culinary medicine and cooking tips because you're such an expert. So I thought it'd be fun to kind of go over some like practical suggestions and tips for people who not only want to be healthy and be whole food plant-based and improve their health conditions or performance or whatever it is, but also enjoy their food and then the entire cooking experience. So if you're up for it, maybe we can first start off with like, is there an essential skill or like a go-to recipe that everyone should learn to master? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I would probably say it depends. It depends on what resonates with you, what you gravitate Mm -hmm. towards. Right. Um, I find that, you know, if you are looking to dabble in more plant forward, 
Um, you know, so there's a spectrum. So having mm-hmm. been trained as a family guy, you know, you see everyone, right? And so I've, you know, had patients who are extreme carnivores, who are extreme vegans and anywhere in between. So for me, it's like, you know, it comes down to three words, just eat more plants. That's four words. And, you know, it's really about, um, you know, getting them, right? There's no downside. There's hardly, I can't think of, unless you can correct me, Cassie, I I can't think of a downside to just eating more plants, right? And so um, for me, it's about, uh, you know, who does it the best? And for me, you know, uh, ethnic cooking does it the best. We're talking about, you know, uh, you know, people who live around the Mediterranean. We're talking about, you know, Asian. We're talking about, you know, um, you know, Hispanics, you know what I'm saying? Um, or even look towards, you know, the longest living people on earth, you know, and, and see what they eat, you know what I'm saying? Um, so it's really about what resonates with you. Like what I think is really good may not be, you know, what is for yours. That is a long, long answer to, you know, what can they do masterfully or, or over and over again? Um, I want people to think outside of just a salad, um, and broccoli and carrots. So, you know, I would probably say any recipe, if uh, a go-to, if you want to make it convenient, easy, and, and still nutritious and good, probably just look, uh, Google a recipe that uses an Instapot. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Because an Instapot is very multifunctional. It's an amazing piece of appliance. And uh, you can have a good nutritious meal, not just for yourself, but for your family um, in very, very, very little time. You know, when I went to culinary school, the Instapot didn't exist. We had to learn how to do, you know, pressure uh, cooking and all that jazz. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, the Instapot is like, what? You know, so um, I would say just Google any type of like plant-based recipe involving a Instapot. So. The instant pot changed my life. You can like cook beans from dried in 30 minutes. It's like, you don't have to pre-soak. You can just, if I want chickpeas, I can have them in half an hour. (laughs) It's great. Yeah, exactly. You actually led into my second question here, which is going to be, are there any like essential kitchen utensils or tools that you would, I guess, recommend? Mm -hmm. I would say for any beginner, um, I know the pandemic, hopefully, um, you know, most of us have gotten back to the kitchen. And what I'll say is that your health starts in the kitchen. Um, you know, because, you know, the reason why is because you're preparing it, you know, what's going into your food. Whereas if you, I like to say outsource your food, you know, to, you know, uh, restaurants and takeouts and deliveries and carryouts and all that jazz, um, you know, you are left to what they prepare for you, how they are going to prepare what's going to go into your food. And guess what? Are they going to be looking after your health? No, that's your job. You know, they're, they are looking um, at their bottom line. So they're going to be using uh, very low uh, costs, um, you know, in a lot of cases, low quality ingredients. So when you're going back into the kitchen and it may seem daunting for some of you, and we're not trying to you know, tell you to be the next Food Network star or anything like that. We're not trying to iron chef anyone. It's really about just learning basic skills, having basic equipment. And you know, it's like, you know, it's that saying goes, you know, you don't fish to just give food to people. You teach someone how to fish so they can provide for themselves, right? So it's, um, you know, it's that expression where if you can learn a skill, you know, you can provide for yourself. So I would say to start off, honestly, investing in a good knife, a good French or chef knife would be a good start, um, starting point. Um, And then if you're asking about an appliance, I would say between a high, a very good high powered blender, um, or like a Instapot or a slow cooker, you know, one, one of the three. So 
Yep. No, good advice. And I like how you just mentioned like a chef's knife. Like it doesn't have to be super complicated here. Just like learn yeah. to chop some vegetables and then yeah. a good frying pan or something like that. It's great too. Yeah. A chef knife is basically the same as the stethoscope to a doctor. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's something that you carry around personally around you. You know, you got to take care of it, right? It's not going to take care of by itself. And it's, you know, it's an instrument. It's an extension of you um, to be able to help you know, other people. Right. So mm-hmm. no, that's so great. Um, okay. Next question. Um, do you have like, are there essential foods or ingredients that you always make sure you have in your house? Like if you're, if you want to like throw a meal together, or, like what are your staples? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I would probably say ginger, garlic, uh, lemon, uh, spring onions. Uh, I mean, I can name a, name a lot. Um, Always, uh, always some mix of beans, um, some grains. I like the combination of brown rice and quinoa. Um, and uh, yeah, that would be like my foundation, which is the same foundation I use to do my smoothies. So (laughs) nice and simple. I like it. Um, okay. Do you have any, I guess, substitution ideas for traditionally unhealthy or like non-vegan foods? Like I know a lot of people will search up recipes and they call for butter, they call for an egg or something like that. Like, what do you recommend your patients do when they're trying to sub out these items? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, eggs is, you know, in the culinary world is kind of like one of those ingredients where it's super, super versatile, you know, so to understand why eggs are used, um, you know, in the culinary world, then you have a better understanding of how you would substitute it, right? So eggs are used in savory cuisines, it's used in baking, it's used in desserts, it's a very versatile, um, you know, uh, uh, ingredient. So in the plant-based world, um, you know, it doesn't do all the things that an egg can do, but, you know, we have some things that make it close. So in school, we, uh, we did a couple of things. So like, for example, baking and desserts, we would, uh, do like, uh, one part like flaxseed, like ground flaxseed or one part, you know, chia seed, and then three parts, um, you know, uh, water. And then you just combine it, you make it into a, a mixture. And what it does is that it has the same binding effects, you know, um, as eggs for baking or desserts, you know. Um, you can also use uh, puree applesauce. You can do puree pumpkin for egg substitute. For butter, um, I don't really care much for butter. But for me, like, I would substitute it easy would be avocado. You know what I'm saying? Um, avocado is rich, it's creamy, um, you know, full, good, healthy fats. Um, and, uh, you know, who doesn't love avocado toast? You know, it just depends on how much you're paying for it when you can probably just do that at home. I love avocado toast. (laughs) It's like my favorite. Um, okay. So kind of going off that with the butter and like, I know, like when we go out to eat a lot of restaurant meals, just, they taste rich. They taste, they're very flavorful. And I've been told that this is because like chefs use a lot of oil. They use a lot of salt, a lot of creams is, do you have any tips for like, I guess, making your meals more decadent at home without making them really unhealthy? I don't know if that's a tough question or not though. No, no, it isn't. Um, It depends on what you're trying to prepare, right? So I think in the plant-based world, what you end up uh, leveraging a lot is herbs and spices, right? And so if you have a good understanding of, you know, how herbs and spices work, 
um, then you can make, you know, amazing cuisines and meals, right? Um, and all over the world, they have their own, you know, repertoire or combinations for like stocks and, you know, savory dishes and souffles and casseroles and, you know, soups. And, um, you know, I'm not much of a baker, but, you know, there's always these great, you know, uh, spices for, you know, uh, uh, baking as well. Um, so leveraging that will help elevate your flavor and taste profile, right? Um, and um, learning how to take, you know, uh, if we're talking about, you know, vegan or plant-based is, is taking, you know, ingredients that are already savory, right? And savory, we mean like that umami flavor, right? That, that, uh, that, uh, um, that taste profile, and then actually making it more concentrated. So in plant-based world, you know, you could use to make things more savory, you could use like, you know, tomato paste or, uh, you know, you can even, you know, manipulate like balsamic vinegar. You could, um, uh, you can use, um, you know, mushrooms, right? So MSG is basically the synthetic derivative of, you know, uh, glutamate, you know, glutamic acid. I mean, so that's naturally derived in mushrooms. So mushrooms is already a natural umami uh, type of food. Um, so just, you know, just uh, having more high con- highly concentrated versions um, of that, you know, and, you know, just whipping them together, you know, um, I always say like, you know, if you are follow a recipe type of person, there's a lot of great, you know, good sources, um, as well as if you're a wing it type of person, I'm more of a wing it type of person to see what you can come up with, you know what I'm saying? And if you can, you know, I think a lot of, you know, French trained chefs, if you tell them to take out salt, if you tell them to take out, you know, eggs and butter or sugar, right. That's almost like, Boxing. I'm going to use a a, a, a fighting analogy. That's like, like boxing, it. you know, with with a hand tied behind your back, right? Um, you know, I had uh, Chef Ramsey uh, uh, Bravo. He's a good friend of mine, chef colleague. Uh, he's the executive chef um, out of uh, True North. Uh, it's a world renowned center out in uh, Santa Rosa, California. And uh, he was a French, he was a classic trained uh, chef. And you know, his uh, his um, you know employer basically said. You're gonna to have to cut out, you know, salt, oil, and sh- and 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 sugar. And he's like, "What?" You know, every single time. And he almost didn't take the job, you know. Um, but he, um, you know, he was very glad that he did. And um, you know, it's there's it's just you know manipulation. It's just figuring out you know different creative ways of how to prepare a meal, essentially. So, okay, good advice. And I think one thing I've learned in trying to like I cook way more now after becoming plant-based than I ever did before. And I've learned like, it's a good thing to experiment and don't be afraid to try something new or um, add extra spices that you wouldn't normally, because usually it turns out pretty good, but um, okay. Do you have any, okay. I guess my question here is, are you a tofu person? That's the first question. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you have, do you have a favorite way to prepare tofu? Like I know a lot of people think tofu is pretty bland, but Personally, there's so many ways to prepare it. And I'm curious what your go-to is. Um, so in the Chinese cuisine, I mean, we prepare tofu in so many different ways. So I grew up on it. So it's not something that's foreign to me. Um, hmm, what's the best way to prepare? Um, honestly, tofu is very versatile. You could, you know, most of how we use uh, tofu is savory, but we also use tofu in like desserts. So 
in Chinese, what's uh, Chinese cuisine is what's interesting is that we don't really have anything that's cold in the Chinese cuisine. You know, we don't do salads. We don't do, you know, like smoothies. We don't do like, we, we, we don't do anything cold. You know what I'm saying? We don't do ice cream. We, we, we don't do any of that. Um, so everything is like warm or hot. Right. Um, and uh, which is interesting because in Chinese medicine, we advocate for the same. We were like, you know, I tell my patients is like, you know, I don't want you to drink ice cold water because if you think about it, your body temperature is at 98.6, you know, uh, on average, why would you want to drink cold? You know, it just doesn't make any sense, you know? And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's like in a Chinese cuisine, our desserts are basically like hot, <laughs> which is interesting. So tofu, to get back to your point, we use tofu in a certain dessert. It's like a silky tofu, like hot soup. Uh, it's like a dessert soup. Um, you know, it doesn't sound attractive, but I would say if you ever been to a dim sum place and you try it out, um, it's really good. You know what I'm saying? Um, and uh, yeah, I would say a classic Chinese dish would be like mapo tofu, and it's uh, it's a very classic. Uh, it's just some there's some like you know red chilies in there, spring onions. Um, you know we like to make uh, we like to thicken uh, thicken our vegetables by you know sauces and stuff. Um, so um, yeah, there's just a m- million ways of preparing tofu. So yeah. Thank you for sharing. I'm definitely going to be uh, Googling some recipes after this. Okay, last question before I know we have to move on, but I'm just curious. Are there any superfoods like that you really try incorporating into your meals, whether this is like a medicinal mushroom or some berries or something like that? Like, do you have any go-tos there? Yeah. Uh, so superfoods, um, it's interesting when you, when you say the word superfoods, because mm-hmm. I feel like honestly, like any of the plant-based foods that we have in our plant kingdom is a superfood. And when I say super, you know, it kind of connotates some sort of like health cure or health elixir or some sort of like fountain of youth type of, you know, goal that by ingesting it, you know, something magically will happen. Right. And if you look at the longest living people on earth, the blue zones, uh, people who are over a hundred years, um, in a very large demographics, um, there's five pockets in the world. Um, you could argue that any of what they eat are superfoods because it's like, you know, they live past hundred, you know, for generations after generations. And what do they eat? They eat, you know, predominantly, you know, plant food, you know, beans, legumes, green leafy vegetables, starchy vegetables, um, whole grains, um, and, uh, nuts and seeds and, you know, all the good stuff in between. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, one thing I remember from the blue zones is that all of them incorporated beans, in all their cuisines. You know, you have Eastern cultures that are blue zones. You have, you know, Mediterranean cultures that are blue zones. Uh, we have a blue zone here in California and all of them um, have beans in their repertoire. You know what I'm saying? So you could say, you can argue that beans is, um, you know, a superfood. So, um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, anything that's a plant, um, anything that comes from mother nature is a superfood because mother nature provides you all that you need and we just got to stop manipulating it, you know? So, and think that we're better than mother nature. I don't know. That's my take on it. No, I love that answer. I feel like we overcomplicate and overhype things and really like beans, beans are a superfood. So that's great. Um, okay. So I'd love to hear about 
I guess, a little bit more about like your current medical practice. So what patients do you see on a daily basis and do you see them in person or are you mostly telehealth now? Because I believe you joined the Plant House plant-based telehealth network, if I'm not correct. Yes, 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 yes. Um, And we're taking patients. Um, So basically, um, uh, my practice has evolved over time. So, you know, when I started my professional career, I became a locum tenens. And that's uh, Latin for to hold a place. Um, It's basically kind of like a substitute teacher uh, for doctors. And so whenever an office or practice... um, you know, their doctor is, you know, on leave, sick leave, getting married, having a baby, passed on, retired, whatever the case may be. Um, they need someone to fill the spot before they can, you know, recruit the next one, right? So that's where we come in. And so that allowed me to kind of travel around the country uh, to allow me to just see patients by itself, family practice, and just, you know, for me to clock in, clock out, and just see patients. It was great. And, um, you know, I did that um, up until like around 2020 um, and things shifted uh, when the pandemic hit, when, you know, like the rest of the world. And I've taken, you know, pretty much my work, um, you know, all virtually. And so I see patients uh, uh, telehealth uh, for now. Um, This year, we are planning on seeing patients um, in person, um, but more of that later. Um, and, uh, you know, everything, all my work is there. Um, the chef doc, um, started in 2017 and uh, it's basically my response to the healthcare system where I felt like, you know, I wasn't having enough time or space or, uh, effectiveness or efficiency to be able to, you know, teach my patients. And so I created this avatar, um, you know, this platform to really reach people far and wide. And, uh, since, Then um, I was able to write a book called Thrive Medicine, uh, which is basically half memoir, half self, you know, empowerment book. Uh, has a bunch of action steps. It's a great book. Um, I, you know, started hosting a podcast um, back in May of 2019, and we focused on three things, plant-powered living, enhancing emotional resilience, and creating a thriving mi- uh, mindset. And uh, yeah, and creating a, a masterclass series. So basically, I, I, I talk about all these iterations as an evolution to uh, one, being able to practice medicine in my own way while uh, authentically creating, uh, authentically, uh, creatively expressing myself. So. Yeah, I, I really admire that. Like there's so many, I guess, elements to you and you bring everything together so nicely and you're really changing patients' lives. And okay, so I'd love to touch on a few aspects. You mentioned so many elements there. Um, first, the book Thrive Medicine. Can you share, I guess, why you were compelled to write this book or why you needed to write this book? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so the book, um, you know, was never in the horizon. It just kind of naturally, organically just came about. Um, I had <laughs> had no, I think I failed like every literature class growing up. Um, but basically, um, you know, it's a book about, it's a reflection of my personal and professional life. I put, um, you know, anecdotes there. I put a lot of different experiences, uh, pieces of wisdom. And, um, you know, I've been very humbled and blessed um, to be able to thrive in my own life. And, um, you know, way before COVID, um, I've traveled a lot. I've been very humbled to have touched every continent um, um, in over like 35 countries and crossed paths with, you know, a myriad of people. And so during my travels, I realized that, you know, I had these wonderful, insightful conversations with people from all walks of life, from different parts of countries and 
and, you know, different uh, areas. And, um, you know, and I just said, wow, I love these light bulb moments that I've been having. And I decided that, you know, I really wanted to kind of put that, put that onto paper. And, um, you know, through that, I had a lot of different types of, you know, roller coasters. I, you know, faced um, depression for the first time when I was training. I faced, you know, I have chronic anxiety. You know, I have OCD. I'm not afraid to admit that. Um, you know, at times I face some imposter syndrome, you know. And so I felt it was very, very important to be vulnerable and be authentic. And I think those are two components and concepts um, that need to be talked, uh, conversed about, uh, to be openly, you know, shared without feeling shame, guilt, or blame, um, you know, because we're all human beings. We, you know, contain the totality of light and dark sides of ourselves. And until we actually embrace all of us, um, you know, I say that the external world is a reflection of our internal world. And so, you know, for me, it's like, if you don't make good on yourself, and this is where self-care and mental health is very important, you know, it's hard. I think it's more of a challenge for you to kind of go about life, to practice, to interact, to be in a relationship, you know, all those different things. You know, I'm not a therapist by trade. I'm not like a relationship coach, but I just basically took all those, um, you know, elements and I, I, I love self-help books. And so I wanted to make it like very actionable. So I have action steps there. I actually have journal pages for you to write in. Um, so it's a very, practical book, um, you know, great antidotes of my life. And uh, yeah, that's why I wrote it because I really wanted those experiences to be shared with others so it can spark something for them. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for being honest and authentic here. I appreciate that. And I think it's, it's important going forward for everyone to kind of think about some of those things you mentioned. And I know for myself, I'm trying to, like I've struggled with disordered eating in the past, anxiety as well, and starting to become more open with that too. Um, so do you have tips, I guess, that someone can apply to just trying to be more authentic? Like where does someone start when you say trying to live authentically? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I would say a good place to start would be if you're able in this era, it's 2022, right? You know, we live in a very noisy and distractful, you know, time. Um, you know, I was very blessed to be born in the early 80s where, you know, I was, you know, we didn't know the internet. We didn't know the computer, you know, until a certain point, you know, uh, pretty much in the mid nineties. Right. I had to remember my best friend's landline. Um, I had to, you know, when, when his parents picked up the phone, I actually had to ask them for permission, you know, to see if they wanted to come out and play a game of pickup basketball. Um, you know, I, you know, I lived through that time. So to be able to live in that time and then, you know, be in the internet age, the social media age is very distractful, you know, um, place, um, you know, is a humbling, you know, because I'm able to kind of take a step back from the noise, you know, out of the matrix, you know, uh, sort of speak and be able to gain like appreciation. So to answer your question, um, I would probably find, um, an, a, a place, a time, uh, whether physically or, you know, visually, you know, a, a, a place where you can call, you know, your own piece of solitude, you know, um, you know, whether it's an empty room, whether it's a place in nature, whether it's on a mountaintop or in your backyard or anywhere, you know, or a park, any place that gives you peace, right? Or at least some form or semblance of quietness, stillness, right? Um, best to kind of put, 
you know, your phones down, turn off all notifications, turn it off, turn off all piece of technology and just allow yourself and allow other senses of your body to just work. You know what I'm saying? Just like be in the moment. A lot of us live, you know, in the past or, you know, live in the future. They're hardly in the present moment. And so, you know, but that's where life is, you know, a great example is an animal, right? If you have pets, right? Um, a dog, a cat, you know, they're not thinking about, you know, their, their, their trauma, you know, um, in the earlier days, right? Um, they're not, you know, reflecting on who owes who money or holding a grudge or, you know, reflecting on an ex or being anxious about, you know, what is going on over the horizon, you know? Um, you know, what is, you know, all that uncertainty with the pandemic, you know what I'm saying? Like they're in the present, you know? And a great reminder is that they love unconditionally, right? So when you practice, when you are authentic, you are fully aware of your strengths and weaknesses. And I use that, you know, word weakness uh, to, to, you know, have you understand, but, you know, use that as an anchor to, you know, improve and learn from, right? And just understand that, you know, uh, everything is very finite, you know, um, everything doesn't live permanently. Everything is not forever. Time is the most precious economy. You're this moment is the only moment that you have. And, um, you know, the, the pandemic didn't, you know, teach us anything. It teaches us that life is very fragile, you know, and health is wealth. So. That's amazing. Thank you. I want to be respectful of your time. So I think that's a good place to kind of close out. I have a couple kind of final questions here. You had mentioned that um, you're accepting new patients through plant-based telehealth. And my question is, do these patients have to be U.S. citizens or can they be international? It's a good question. So um, so currently, yeah, I didn't answer your question. So plant-based telehealth is one of the uh, companies that I'm partnering up with um, and I have my own pra- private practice. And so I do lifestyle medicine consulting. Um, so we see, uh, well, the team of us, we see everyone from all over the United States. Um, it is, uh, we're striving to be the, the premier national uh, lifestyle medicine uh, telehealth group. Um, and so personally, I'm practicing in six states, going to be seven, and then a little bit more uh, later on. Um, you know, United States is weird because we have to have individual state licenses, whereas everywhere else is like, oh, you have this country's license, and then you can practice nationally, right? That would have made more sense, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, so I have six uh, state licenses, so you have to go onto the site to see which ones. Uh, but it's California, Texas, Washington, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Florida for now. Um, we're going to add on West Virginia and a few more later on this year. But basically, we see people from uh, the states. Uh, We also do international um, consulting as well. Um, It's different because it's not considered a medical visit. Um, So you can think of it as like a coaching session. Um, Whereas, you know, the United States, you know, we could, you know, help you manage your, you know, medications as needed. We can add, you know, uh, you know, supplementation as needed. We can help you order labs. You know, we just look at things differently and we sit down and actually talk to you from 30 minutes to a whole hour, uh, literally instead of seven minutes, um, about your lifestyle and what's going on in your life and how your relationships, where have you been with stress and weight and how do you sleep and do you drink enough water? You know what I'm saying? So we talk about all that. So 
That's so great. Um, so holistic. I think everyone needs a little bit more of that. So thank you. Um, so if people are listening, they want to connect with you, they want to learn more about um, the masterclass you made, we didn't even get a yeah. chance to talk about or like purchase your book, where do you want to direct them to? Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, so I have two main websites. Uh, the first website is uh, chefdoczu.com. So C-H-E-F. Um, uh, D-O-C-Z-H-U.com. Um, there you can have, uh, see all my social media handles and, uh, you can uh, go there to, um, book an appointment, uh, to see me. Um, and the second website is called, um, uh, the thrive formula, uh, .co. So thrive is spelled T H R number five and the, and formula is the same thing .co. And, uh, there, I definitely would, you know, like to offer your listeners, you know, 10% off on, you know, the masterclass series there. Um, but basically it's my, it's my creation of, you know, what I wanted to have, um, you know, to learn from, um, back in medical school. Okay. So basically it's a, it's a self uh, on-demand self-paced, um, you know, educational, uh, system where you have 50 plus hours, 50 speakers from different, uh, health industries, um, and experts ranging from doctors to chefs, to dietitians, to coaches, to fitness experts, to relationships experts. Um, we got some farmers in there. Um, and basically it's me interviewing, you know, kind of like how we're doing, we're interviewing them and we're talking about several different topics. They, you know, give us, you know, their, their, their greatest tips and um, wisdom. Um, and uh, we talk about five pillars, what, which I like to call the five to thrive pillars. Um, you know, uh, food is medicine, functional fitness, uh, community, resilience, okay, and relationships. And so I found these pillars to be monumental to kind of take your life from here to, you know, above. And, um, you know, it's a great, I dedicated seven months into it. And, uh, you know, for those that are doctors, um, you know, this is, and nurses, actually, we just got it, we had it accredited. Um, so you can get continuing medical education credits, you can get continuing uh, nursing credits um, as well. So, um, you know, that's a, that's a, a good thing. So, um, but yeah, definitely check it out. Um, I'll leave the links uh, with Cassie and, you know, she can uh, show it to you. So. Yeah. I was going to say that sounds amazing. It sounds like something I need as I'm going through medical school. <laughs> so I'll definitely, any links you provide me, everything I can put it in the show notes below. So it's an easy click for everyone listening. So I have to sincerely thank you for being here. This has been a great conversation. I have a, a lot that I'm taking away from this to think about. So I hope everyone listening is uh, feeling the same. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for doing what you're doing. And again, kudos to, you know, starting the journey um, early and being able to help your future patients. You're doing an amazing job. Well, it's thanks to physicians like yourself that paved the way. So I appreciate it. <laughs> That's all for now. Thank you for listening. And I hope it was valuable to you. Please remember to check out the show notes for all the resources mentioned and links to connect with our guest. If you would like to support what I'm doing, the best way to help me grow the show is to subscribe, of course, but also share it with your friends and family or on social media. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can also leave a five-star review and or a comment. A special thank you, as always, to Tyler Gatto for composing the theme music for the podcast and to Wyatt Pavlik for the excellent audio engineering each and every episode. So until next time, keep training hard, keep eating plants, and take care. <laughs>